We all have a creative part of our brain, whether we use it or not, for generating new ideas, problem solving, and just viewing ourselves in this world. I am Ricky McGeckron, an artist living in Chicago, and I am eager to know and share with you all how people of a creative leaning have brought this way of thinking to the forefront and how it has shifted outcomes. This episode's guest has a strong background in something I don't know much about, improv. You know, people on a stage sort of making things up as they go along. On this episode of Eager to Know, Meredith explains what improv is and reveals how this theatrical technique can be helpful for many regular people and for lots of surprising reasons. I am happy to share my conversation with director, actor, and educator, Meredith Gundai. I am particularly excited about talking to you because you are involved in something that I know nothing about. And Wonderful. so that makes me very that makes me very excited, and that is improv. I know there's a lot to you, and you do a lot of things, mm-hmm. um, and we'll get into your whole story. Mm-hmm. But I would like to start with you telling me about improv. Like, what is that? What is improv? Well, it's making something up on the spot. Uh, is the best way to define it in simple terms. I got into improv because I was an actor and I was in a sketch comedy group and one of the members of the sketch comedy group was like, I'm moving to Chicago and I'm I'm going to study with IO, which was formerly called Improv Olympic and now it's no longer. And I was super curious and so I was like, well, I'm moving to Chicago and I want to go to IO. I learned quickly that it's about finding structures, so games, if you will, or exercises, and then having a yes and attitude playing within those particular structures. And yes and is the foundation of improvisation, meaning, uh, yes, I'm going to yes and your idea, we're going to build and we're going to create something together. When I think about the whole like universe, so to speak, of performing arts, what you just described sounds completely out of what I would think of in performing arts. Because when I think of performing arts, I think of a singer and they're practicing and they're using lyrics that somebody else wrote and they're performing it. And if you're an actor on stage, you're using a script. Doing this yes and sounds like a completely different part of your brain. Well, I mean, you think about it, musicians, jazz musicians use yes and all the time and heightened listening as they sit there and and one instrument informs the next and a melody or and so I I think it's the same skill sets. It's just a different form of expression. When you were working with people that were doing improv, were they mostly people that did traditional acting from a script? You know, actually, that's a really great question. Most of the people that I performed with were not actors. A lot of them were like, they had day jobs and they, you know, someone maybe said that they were funny and then they decided, you know, I'm going to go take an improv class. And then they ended up totally drinking the Kool-Aid and ended up like doing it and performing. And some of those people are actually, that's what they do now. They're just performers. Like it gave them permission to jump up on a stage. And a lot of the people I worked with were total introverts. This sounds like this is less about traditional performing arts and more about people in the real world and untapped potential of expressing like who you are in the regular world as opposed to performing. Yes. 
Yeah, I think it is. It's like being able to tap into your most authentic self. It's be, you know, they always say start from a place of truth, which I think is is really valuable because the truth <laughs> oftentimes when people get into a space and I say this, I'm backing up a little bit, is that there's this need to have to perform or be funny. And then when you can say actually just breathe, be present, start from a place of truth, and then let's see what unfolds from there. Let's see what gets added on from the next person or the next offering. And it will go from this nonfiction world into a fictional world, and that's fine, but it always started with the core, which is the truth. Can we talk about your creative childhood? In like, <laughs> were you a theater kid? Were you, are you an extrovert? Are you an introvert? Are you social? Can you tell me about like that aspect of yourself as a, the core of you? Yeah, I am definitely an extrovert uh, who does need a little bit of time, though, to refuel by herself. So I uh, just want to put that out there for everyone who thinks extroverts are always out and about and talking. Uh, as a kid, I was always creative, always making up stories. Um, and I ended up in the performing arts through dance. So at the age of nine, my friend Mona was taking a dance class and I really thought that looked awesome. And I went home to my mom and dad and I said, I, I want to dance. And so I danced and I was super lucky because when I got into high school, they had a dance company, not just cheerleading squad, but, and not, you know, and they also had the intramural sports and whatnot, but they had a dance company. So I didn't have to take the gym classes in high school. Uh, I got to dance and I loved it. From dance, I was doing a performance at a place, the Lincoln Center in Fort Collins, Colorado, not to uh, confuse that with New York City. <laughs> I, I had to do this triple turn, stop, look out to the audience and say, when I grow up, I want to be just like Wonder Woman. And this woman in the audience, dance teacher, was listening and watching. And she came up to me afterwards and she goes, you you should take acting classes. You have a really lovely voice on stage. And I went, oh, really? And that was about the age of 14. And so then I started taking acting classes and I really loved it. From there, just kind of did one thing after the next. What was it about acting that you liked? I loved the community. I really felt like I had a place where I belonged. And did did you not feel like you belonged before then? Like were you not connected with your peers? I would say I was kind of the odd duck. I I I had such diverse like um interests from other people. Um I didn't quite like I wasn't I never quite fit that mold of like being in the popular crowd like I never quite I was really tiny and a little bit awkward but extroverted and I never had like the right outfit or um, lived in the right neighborhood and I also came from a household when I was uh, in middle school where my dad uh, had PTSD from Vietnam and a lot of flashbacks during that time started to surface for him. So it was a tough home life from for me as well. And so I think that finding that community and of actors who are empaths and they accept your quirkiness and we use it as an asset was so important to cultivating who I am today. And I found safety there. 
It sounds like that's something that was obviously helpful and you found it early and it's something that you have to help you now throughout your life. Is that, is that accurate? Like you found this thing early on? I would say, yeah, I would say for definitely because the community, once you're in it, is quite small. I have found that the work, when you're called to do it and dive into it, can really help cultivate a sense of belief. It can help you manage your own feelings around things. It's really made me a much better person. It's made me a better listener, I think. What has? uh, Doing acting or being in the community? All of it. All of it. Being in the community, being called to um, push up against things that are hard, like conversations that are difficult to have. Because sometimes you're playing these characters or sometimes you're choosing a play and you're like, you have to ask the question, why? Why this play now? What, 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 is, what are the circumstances that this particular character is, is experiencing and how can you really bring that to life and, and, and how can you bring yourself into that character as well? So it really makes you bump up against your own stuff quite a bit. And it's really fascinating that when you get cast and show how similar sometimes the character is to who you are. This is so interesting because when I think of someone being an actor, uh-huh. I think their experience being the physical aspect of being on stage and memorizing a script and performing and movement. And what you're describing is an internal dialogue and feelings. I never would have expected that. Oh, I, I've had to do some work. Yeah. And I would say it's so true with the improv work, too. I've done many different forms. So... Um, not just working with a second city and doing short form and long form improv, but I've also been a part of a group called Playback Theater West for the last 12 years. And that was started by psychotherapists where people will tell a story. An audience member comes up on stage, tells a story that's true, that's happened to them in their own life. Then we play it back. Those stories can be hard stories. They can be delightful stories. They can be uh, stories that take you on a journey. But nonetheless, you're forced in that moment to serve the teller, but also you have to bring in your own inherent wisdom into the story. So it's, it is a lot of uh, self-reflection and, and work. And so it, it, and it served me in, in many, many ways. It's also incredibly vulnerable. There's been times where I have gotten off stage and said, oh my God, what is that? Give me a cigarette and a drink, you know, because it's a lot. It can be a lot. Improv, it sounds like you need to be fairly courageous or brave to, I don't know if those are the right words, to sort of let go. So many people are hesitant in the world in general, holding back what they're thinking or feeling and what they want to say, or they just are themselves and then they're like, ugh, why did I say that? Why did I say that? When you're doing improv, you it sounds like you have to let go of both of those things. Is that accurate? So one of the quotes that I quote often is uh, first thought, best thought, right? So really noticing what you notice in the moment, what's happening in the space, responding to it, first thought, best thought, not questioning, not judging, right? So I think that speaks to the first part of what you were um, asking. And then the second part to what you're asking or what you were curious about with 
the people who just kind of say things and then they go, oh, God, why did I say that? I think there's also the opportunity and the invitation to hold and then feel and then respond. And so I think it's a delicate balance of first thought, best thought, and the hold feeling and then responding. So I think it's a deep awareness and presence that you have. It's very Zen-like, I think the art form is, so that you're not only serving the scene partner, yourself, the entirety of the story, but also your audience. There's a lot of moving parts in, in that. The improv, the structures itself, the games um, have no real world consequences, but the lessons that are learned within those games are so applicable to so many things. This sounds like improv would be extremely helpful to a whole set of people that have no idea that it would be helpful to them. A hundred percent, which is what I do. I do that now. I do what's called applied improv. So you do the improv and then we go, how is this applied to my life, right? And so I've worked with organizations teaching applied improvisation on how to, you know, working with teams, a lot on ideation, brainstorming, creativity. Uh, And then I work with my, I have a program called Confidently Speaking, where I help people who really want to be great at public speaking. So maybe some of the introverts, right, in the world, or people who just don't feel confident with the one-on-one or the networking situation or giving a keynote or a presentation at work that might be internal. But it's really working through these these forms to help them find that and fine-tune it and look at their belief system so that they can feel brave. What sort of person in the world would you suggest looking into improv like what sort of situation mentally someone would be in or challenges that they're having in the world where you think improv could be a potential solution that they should look into oh i love that question Uh, so for your listeners i would say if you are not laughing enough in your life if you feel like you would like to have some fun and learn something about your own belief system, your confidence. If you want to bring more creativity into your life, I think that improvisation is such a wonderful tool to explore all of that. I would say if you're even having a a tough time with your communication, whether that be in listening, speaking up, having a strong point of view, and being able to step into difficult conversations, all of these things I think improv does help because in the structures we get to kind of fail in a safe space and learn from it. Yeah. And this sounds like a better strategy than doing a how to be a better conversationalist tutorial, YouTube video class, because this is getting to the root of how you feel about yourself a little bit and Mm -hmm. how you feel interacting with other people and impulses. Um, This just sounds like it's going a level deeper and more foundational if you wanted to improve some of those skills. What you just said was great because I'll give let me give an example. So an example is oftentimes we'll do we'll do there's one exercise that I like to do called red ball at the beginning and multiple things are happening at the same time. They're passing things. They're making eye contact. And this is when we're in person, of course. but when, what I'll do is I'll at the end of the exercise, I always have people touch in like, how are you feeling? What do you notice in your body? 
What were you doing with your breath? And I will say that most of the time when people feel nervous, they hold their breath. Totally. That's, that's what we normally do, right? So noticing that, and I also like the Allen Ginsberg quote, notice what you notice. Noticing that you're holding your breath when you get into situations that are a little bit where you're feeling nervous or uh, there's a lot of anticipation to be had, you're probably not breathing properly. You're probably holding your breath, which is actually not a service to you. It's a disservice. So noticing those little subtle nuances and also noticing, are you anticipating what someone's going to say before they say it? Or are you actually being present and listening? Right. So there's so many wonderful. And I always go to the feelings because I got to say I've worked with. An, it, it's interesting because I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. We were walking back, picking our kids up from school. And the, these kids were asked to draw their emotions on a piece of paper, which I think is great. We should always be reflecting on our emotions. And she's like, don't you think they're a little old for that? They're in like they're in fourth grade. And I said, nope. I said, I think every single year, whatever the activity is to get people to talk about emotions and feelings and actually knowing what they are and where they live in your body is important because I can't tell you how many adults I have worked with who cannot articulate a feeling. They have, they know the idea of the feeling, but the, but to be able to name sadness, anger, frustration, which is a form of anger, um, delight, all those feelings and where they live in our body, a lot of adults don't know how to do that. And so in, in in through these games, I get to say, no, let's really drop in. What were you feeling in your body? When this happened, what were you feeling? And they'll go, oh, I was, you know, they'll give me some idea of the feeling. I go, no, 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 what was the feeling? Oh, I was feeling scared. And you go, ah, you were feeling scared. Let's talk about that. Yeah, it sounds like doing improv would be a more effective way of accessing stuff like that than just going to traditional therapy. Right, I mean, but I'm not, not a therapist. <laughs> no, and I, right. I understand that, and I'm not claiming that, but I'm thinking about, uh, I remember when I went to therapy when I was in my tw- 20s, which, by the way, I remember the therapist telling me, Rick, uh, you don't breathe, you're holding your breath all the time. So that was that relates to what you were saying. I had a hard time ex figuring out my feelings mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But I think what you just described, if I was in an improv situation, I feel like that would, um, I think it would give a clearer access. It would be more comfortable than sitting in a therapist's office. And certainly I'm not implying that you are a therapist or anything. But mm-hmm. I think when it comes to asset, as, accessing what you're feeling inside and sort of identifying it, mm-hmm. I think having a structure yeah. Uh, that you're describing in like context, so to speak, as opposed to just sitting in a chair mm-hmm. at, you know, talking to a therapist, I think that would be helpful to uh, make it clear. One of the things that I learned in doing this podcast, I'm up to like episode 92. Amazing. And one of the, one of the things that I learned that was a big surprise was we're all creative and artistic as kids, like first and second grade. We kind of have this we're comfortable with that. Most kids are. And then at some point, it kind of goes away. And one of the things that I'm trying to do with the podcast is giving people permission to be creative and to kind of tap into that first grader again and see what's there. What can you say about that? 
Oh my goodness, I say yes and and more to that, please. We all just need to be having more fun. We need to be playing. We need to be laughing. I, I mean, you. we look at what's happening now. I think some of the cracks are starting to expose themselves from this pandemic we've all been living in. And one of the cracks that's being exposed is in wellness, right? There's workplace wellness, I know, is something that has been um, definitely... Uh, exposed in terms of burnout like so many people are feeling this like ugh, and we need to change things we need to shift things and one way to shift it one component to wellness and health and prevention of burnout is the ability to be able to laugh and to play and to let our our kid come through it's so important uh we see it i mean look at just our posture has changed i noticed like we have a hard time opening up our hearts and being vulnerable because we're constantly sitting and our shoulders are caving in and we're 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 protecting right we're doing a lot of protecting and so I say what's so beautiful about laughter is it gives us permission to open up. If people are listening to this conversation and it activates their brain and they're thinking, hmm, improv might be something I want to look into. Yeah. What would you suggest they do, including reach out to you? can be included in that suggestion. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but what would you suggest if somebody, you know, lives in Hawaii or something? Yeah, I would say Google is your friend. Um, improv classes in your area. Uh, there's a lot of improv classes still happening on Zoom, though I really do think that if you can jump into an improv class in person, there's something about bodies and space that uh you just can't get in a Zoom call, though I make my Zoom calls very, my Zoom classes are very active, even though we're all on a Zoom screen. I try my best. Um, but I, I, I think just find a group in your area and go, bravely just go. And I, I guarantee you're going to have a delightful time. There are so many wonderful improv organizations around the country, around the world. So. Okay, wonderful. And if people want to reach out to you specifically, what would they do? And I think you offer services for both like an individual and then also for groups and companies, correct? Yeah, I do. I have three programs. One is uh, one-on-one individual. So uh, I work with people who really need some help with their storytelling and presentations. uh, And I will if confidence is something that you're also working on, I make sure that I incorporate a, a couple of exercises that are improv-based just to kind of strengthen that muscle a little bit and also the adaptability, flexibility muscle as well. And then uh, I have my group coaching program, which is called Confidently Speaking, and that's a membership program. And that meets every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. Eastern time. And you can drop in whenever I, I uh, facilitate one class a week. And every week is a different focus. So it might be storytelling or stage presence or on-camera presence. Uh, It might be managing anxiety and nerves and uh, storytelling, different structures of storytelling. So that's the confidentlyspeaking.club. And then I do do organizations where I will go in and facilitate an improv workshop. And right now what I'm what I have been predominantly offering is what I call a happy hour. So it's uh, 
90 minutes of having some fun together, learning these structures, and then also learning a little bit about the people that are on your team and how you can be better communicators. So those are the three programs. And you can find me at Grundi, which is G-R-U-N, as in Nancy, D as in dog, E-I, coaching.com. And that's me. It's always exciting when I have a guest. I mean, I love all my guests, obviously. But when I have a guest that does something that I know nothing about, I get particularly excited. I remember one time I had a guest who is a voiceover artist. Ooh. And like, I know nothing about that. And so it was very exciting for me. And it was very exciting knowing that I was going to talk to you today. Uh, You definitely clarified and it makes perfect sense to me. Oh, well, thank you. And I have to just say, I I am delighted by your curiosity. I just think it's fantastic. And your listeners are very lucky. Oh, yeah. I mean, the listeners are, they're down for the adventure. Yes. Which is great. I love it. And it's kind of like, they like getting into someone's brain. And Mm -hmm. we're kind of swimming around. And that's what they like the most. And so I am, I very much appreciate you spending time with me this morning and uh, allowing us to swim around your brain. Oh my goodness, thank you. Thank you, it was a delight. My name is Ricky McGeckrin, and you have been listening to Eager to Know, the podcast. If you haven't already, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Eager to Know podcast.